Welcome to Pipeline, Profiles in Philosophy and Education. I'm your host, Winston C. Thompson. Pipeline is a monthly short-form interview program focused on contemporary scholars. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit pipeline.fm. Pipeline is made possible by the generous support of the Education Department of the University of New Hampshire. This episode, we are joined by Randall Curran, University of Rochester, University of Birmingham, and Royal Institute of Philosophy. Randall Curran, welcome to Pipeline. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, To get us started, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about how you uh, found yourself doing work in philosophy and education. Right. So that goes back a long ways. I actually started reading philosophy um, right as I was beginning high school. And I came uh, before too long upon Alfred North Whitehead's Aims of Education. There's a theory in it of the cycle of learning. And I was a partner in starting an underground school paper in my high school. Okay, oh, interesting. And so the inaugural issue, we were all writing critiques of the school. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so my target was the, was the testing practices of our school. Okay. And I critiqued them on the basis of Whitehead's theory. And so uh, it was banned uh, on, on the campus, but when we, by, by the second period of the day, every class we went into, teacher had a copy on, on, oh, on the desk. And I walked into trig class, and, and the teacher said, now, Randall, that's a very interesting uh, little essay you wrote. Um, so uh, I have a proposition for you. Um, um, you know, the unit on the slide rule is coming up soon. And uh, I've actually never used one. So how would you like to uh, teach the unit on the slide rule and uh, write and administer and grade the test? Okay. So she threw that, she threw down the gauntlet for sure. me to do better. And uh, it was a fantastic experience. So that's how I got started. And I've ended up writing, oh, seven or eight papers on grading and student evaluation assessment and stuff. So. Huh. Oh, interesting. So it sounds as though uh, you began writing about education while you yourself were a student, uh, having been inspired in, in some part by uh, uh, Whitehead's uh, uh, remarks. Is that, is, that, is that right? Right. No, no, that, that, that's right. And so I... I mean, my interests began in, in academic philosophy, but they very quickly bridged to educational practice as I was experiencing yeah. it. Yeah. So, Because yeah. at that time, were you, were you already reading some philosophy before you started uh, thinking about uh, education? Or what, were no, the, I was. Two really yeah, yeah. No, I, I was, I was reading philosophy. I began, actually, I was, began reading mathematics okay. and not knowing that some of it was actually philosophy. Okay. And okay. so, like, uh, chapters uh, about, um, you know, how to prove things about infinite series or okay. deviant geometries. Okay. And then when I, I discovered Bertrand Russell, actually, okay. and sure. in a book of his essays, a, a review of this math book, Science and Hypothesis, that I had read. And that's when I made the connection. I that's see. when I realized that my theoretical interests in math were actually philosophy. Okay. So then I then I 
knowing that I was interested in philosophy, began to read philosophy. I see. I see. So it took I me it took me a couple of years to get to education, okay. philosophy of education. Yeah. Right. Right. And so. Uh, to my mind, you've got a rather impressive publication history, uh, but I'm curious, what um, ideas have been animating your work uh, as of late? Right. Well, I guess, I guess the heart of what's animating me is thinking about human well-being yeah. as as a goal of education, and and how other things are connected with that. So I can I can describe that. That's sort of central to everything I'm doing. Sure. And that's, for me, that's grounded in having spent a lot of years um, trying, to, trying to do a unified reading of Aristotle's ethics and politics. And so the, my interests in that project were in understanding Greek ideas about the relationships between education and law and ethics and sort of moral formation of human beings. And I just, I found all that quite fascinating and very fruitful for thinking about a whole variety of issues, yeah. including, um, you know, what we call the uh, school-to-prison pipeline, um, the, the ethics of school disciplinary practices, um, just how you, how you think about a, a variety of aspects of the curriculum, how you think about the legitimacy of a system of government, the nature of, of uh, political authority, authority relations in education. So, I mean, I feel I was sort of fortunate to begin by thinking about of an ethic that had already been uh, developed and played out uh, uh, over many years in Greek thought in, and applied uh, also to education. So that's where I began. I, in recent years, after Hurricanes Katrina and Rita, devastated my hometown of New Orleans, where I, I had lived in the lowest-lying part of the city, okay. um, and I had experienced hurricanes, and I still had family and friends there. That happened when I was in the midst of reading Jared Diamond's book, Collapse. Okay. And, and I, for a variety of reasons, uh, some fundraiser talks, some professional invitations, I was I was led very quickly into uh, speaking and writing about the ethics of disaster, sustainability ethics. So that has led me into a one of my current collaborations, which is with a geologist, uh, actually friend from junior high, okay. <laughs> uh, but she professor of geology but also ran science education for San Jose State University. Okay. Ellen Metzger, so shout out to Ellen. Okay. And so we've been working on a book called An Education in Sustainability. And it's, it's a one volume introduction to sustainability, mm. the ethics of sustainability, and trying to understand uh, how you would fit and why you should fit um, studies in sustainability within uh, within a, an education. Now, I, my basic view is people have a right to understand um, what's going on in the world they're going to have to live in. There's controversy around climate change, yeah. um, but there are a variety of arguments, and that's one of them is sort of from children's, children's rights. And um, people need to be able to make judgments about how to live their lives in light of 
uh, the truth about sure. what's going on in the world. Sure. So I, I absolutely love collaborating mm. beyond the borders of philosophy. I think yes. there are a lot of interesting questions that, including many interesting questions about education, that you can address more fully if you partner with people in other disciplines. Okay. So that's geology. I've, I've collaborated uh, fairly recently with uh, a lawyer um, writing about um, homeschooling. Um, I'm uh, a couple years into a collaboration with Richard Ryan, one of the uh, founders of self-determination theory in um, motivational psychology. So he and I have an ongoing collaboration in trying to understand the nature of human well-being and how to bridge philosophy and psychology to have a more complete understanding of, of human well-being or human flourishing. Yeah. So there's a movement that's now calling itself uh, eudaimonistic psychology. Mm. Um, most Many people now know about positive psychology, which has borrowed heavily sure. from people like Rich Ryan. Sure. Um, so I feel incredibly fortunate to have him as a colleague, mm. to be able to collaborate with him. Um, and I, I do think the, the classical Greek idea of flourishing mm is partly an empirical psychological idea Interesting. because at the heart of it is the idea that living well which was what the Greeks thought is what we all want to do we all want to live well they thought that the way we all understand that is that it means living both admirably and we all want to live admirably. Um, we have different ideas about it, what it means to live sure, admirably, but, but I think it's plausible that pretty much all of us who are sane want to live admirably. And then the other part of it is living in a way that's personally fulfilling. Mm. So I think underneath the idea of flourishing or living well is the hypothesis that there's a pretty robust convergence sure. between living an admirable life mm. and living a life that's satisfying. Mm. So this is an area of intense uh, research interest in psychology now, sure. but I think I think you can't really do it without addressing the ethical aspects of it. Mm. So it's a natural partnership. Sure. So that's that's one of the other main areas, and that. Um, that could go a long time, but I mean now, as of uh, a year ago, I have um, I have this uh, part-time research chair in um, moral and virtue education at the University of Birmingham in, in the Jubilee Center for for Character and Values. So I have a fantastic group of philosopher colleagues there, and a wider group of fantastic colleagues engaged in doing studies of what's actually happening in character education in British schools, mm. studying uh, uh, a range of professions and how people, um, how people make decisions and, the, and uh, trying to understand the ethical dimensions of those decisions. So those are great projects that are, again, interdisciplinary, sure, which, which I love. And uh, so I'm a kind of... Um, consultant collaborator on all of these. Uh, so that also fits because the the Jubilee Center is is predicated on this idea of flourishing mm. and that no one really lives well without 
exercising virtues. Mm. So it all it's it's all connected really well it seems very connected to my mind uh, particularly because you began your uh, remarks there um, uh, with some account of your own sustained project on Aristotle uh, and I'm just wondering about the ways that Aristotle uh, uh, may have contributed to your uh, sort of probing into these questions of um, of, of, of well-being I mean, I, my general view of education and of institutions generally mm. is what we would all want from them is to provide a setting and basis for us to be able to live well. Yeah. So that, that turns out to be a very powerful, <laughs> critical perspective sure. on the design of all kinds of institutions sure. as well as schools. Sure. That's um, so, I mean, the other, the other piece, this already sounds like too many to most people, but... <laughs> But uh, the, the other piece is I was um, sort of uh, uh, drawn into being the series co-editor of a book series of studies in the history and philosophy of education, which is the whole series is under contract with the University of Chicago Press. Uh, my historian series co-editor partner is John Zimmerman yes. at NYU. And uh, we just had a workshop a few days ago with 23 of our 24 authors. Okay. So that again revolves around the idea that yeah, history's great by itself, philosophy's great by itself. You put the two together and you have a synergy and greater, greater uh, power and, and capacity to address important issues of educational policy and practice. So every one of the 12 books in progress, and who knows how many more, uh, co-authored by a historian and a philosopher. So we just had a grant to bring everybody together for a weekend. And uh, so the, the idea there is to sustain collaborations over a span of years. So <clears throat> my personal book in the series uh, is on patriotism and civic education. Oh, nice. Oh, good. And so again, for me... Uh, so much of Aristotle's ethics and politics revolves around how we live well together, mm. what kind of norms of citizenship that requires. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're trying to understand episodes like the surge of patriotism in American schools after the 9-11 attacks and some of the darker aspects of nationalism and patriotism. We're, we're trying to understand that and come to a view about the most productive forms of citizenship to promote. And, and our basic position is that Aristotle was, had some things right mm. in thinking that the heart of what you want is a kind of civic friendship mm. in which people are open to living well together with diverse others, everyone in your society, where there, there can be a very substantial reality to civic friendship and that it's fundamental to how, how we can live together. Oh, yes. And I, I think there's something quite, quite, quite key there, uh, that this living happens among those who may have a variety of value sets or um, allegiances but that there's some, some common ground in regards to this uh, shared project of living together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one way to read the Greek is mm. it's, 
is that civic friendship is fundamentally about people willing each other's good, sure. being willing mm. to act for each other's good, mm. and that when you meet people, mm. you come to it disposed to like them. Sure. So there's a kind of liking sure. and a kind of willing each other's well-being. Yeah. And, uh, and so the image is you want the different institutions and circles of association in society mm. to overlap and reach out in a way that ultimately connects everybody mm. through in different ways. Yeah, yeah now you, you, you've told us a very good amount about um, uh, your own entrance into uh, the philosophical study of education and you, you've, you've given us a, a really intriguing account of the things that are occupying your mind at the moment, but I wonder if you might share with our listeners uh, a little bit about uh, uh, what's, what's to come. I mean, um, either in your work or in the field more broadly, uh, what are some of the urgent questions or concerns that uh, uh, philosophical study of education really ought to, uh, ought to deal with? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are a lot, <laughs> there are a lot of urgent questions sure. about education. I, I think there's so many right now. I could, I could just go through the list of topics of the book series oh, I just sure. described, and, that, and you'd recognize all of them. Uh, as sort of burning questions. So, um, I mean, I I think we're in um, a difficult period now, mm. in which we we're attempting major school reform movements mm. that are predicated on some um, somewhat ill-considered um, views about. Um, what can and can't be marketized and made more efficient through markets, um, a, a, a very shallow understanding of the role of motivation in making schools work. So, I mean, I think the whole standards and accountability movement mm. is more or less predicated on, on the idea that you just need teachers to be more motivated and school leaders to be more motivated. And if you understand how human motivation works, um, you would see what the evidence is showing, which is that high stakes testing and giving them more occupational insecurity, that the primary effect of that is to make them anxious. Sure. And when they're anxious in their work, they tend to make their students anxious. They're more controlling. They're totally focused on just the students being able to produce the right results on the tests mm. instead of focused on the real learning. The, the students are then more anxious and they don't learn as much and they don't perform as well. So, I mean, I think this, I think we understand enough about this now that we should be setting aside uh, those reform models, but this is where we are. So it, I, I think knowing what's going to be the most urgent task for mm. philosophy of education is not something I would want to try to project sure. because we don't know what's going to happen in the world. Sure. But um, I think there are a lot of important issues to which philosophers could be contributing. For me, I have so many projects that I've just described and parts of them that are only partially worked out. Sure. But uh, one aspect of it that is very exciting to me and I think will go on for quite a while um, is thinking about the role of meaning mm -hmm. and well-being. I, I just gave a lecture about that mm -hmm. 
um, for the Royal Institute of Philosophy. It's in my professorial inaugural lecture, actually, in January. I'll be working on that for some time. And the other thing is I'm my coming back to working quite a bit on moral education. I'm now thinking a lot about the motivational dimensions of character or virtues. Mm. And I'm, I think uh, that I probably will be working on that for some time to come. And, and where I'm pointedly trying to identify testable hypotheses sure. about um, motivation and the possibility of moral progress. So if you just begin from um, people's moral learning being socially anchored mm. and connected with their need for social connection, then you can worry that moral education could have a very conservative effect. It could make it very hard for people to see the moral limitations sure. of their own society and whatever smaller you know, circles they belong to. So I think um, I think the very interesting things there, if you broaden your understanding of the motivational bases of learning mm. and different needs other than the need for social connection, sure, understanding yeah. motivation, then you can come to a, a somewhat more optimistic view of the possibilities for overcoming the the moral limits the limits of you know in forms of injustice sure. in our society uh, so i'm i'm trying to think about how to develop models of moral education that are integrated with what you could call critical thinking okay. where we're attuned to the psychology of learning and motivation to where we maybe could be doing a better job of morally educating in a way that would would advance moral progress sure. and, and a more just society. Sure. <laughs> so I think ways, that could yeah. I think that could take me the rest of my career. Well, it's a, it's, it's a big task. In many it's ways, I mean, uh, uh, as you've suggested, uh, it's a uh, uh, sort of uh, it's a torch that you've picked up from uh, from Aristotle himself uh, in some ways and yeah. sort of extended uh, very productively. Well, I hope productively. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Randall Kern, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. For more information and to review previous episodes, please visit www.pipeline.fm.